So getting ready to share uh, this morning um, and reading through the, the text that we're going to talk about, I, I've been wrestling with this question of what is an unusual way I've had to prepare for something. And the only thing that I could think of was my sophomore year of college, I got recruited to be on the track team. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Obviously, right? So, let me just clarify what I mean by this. One, I was not recruited to run track. I have an allergy to running. And number two, I wasn't really necessarily recruited. I was asked by a guy who was a fifth-year senior at the college. His name was Roger. He had, uh, he had done his eligibility, and so he was desperate uh, to have people in the field portion of track and field for the school. And, uh, and what really sold me was the fact that, one, I did not have to run. Uh, and then number two, what he said that I really needed to do to prepare to be on the field portion of the team was I needed to bulk up. And I'm like, what exactly do you mean by bulk up? He said, well, man, you got to hit the weights and you got to eat a lot of food. And I said, well, I can definitely do number two. Like, I'm totally down for that. And then I realized what he meant by that when I got to the very first meet, and I'm looking around at the guys who threw shot put, and none of them had necks, and most of their, most of their biceps were larger than my thighs. Let me just say, the, the entire one-and-done time on, my, on the track and field team at the college was a lesson in humility. <laughs> so we are going through the biography of Jesus that was written by one of his followers named Matthew. And Matthew writes this biography so that we can know Jesus more. And our hope is that we go through this book and as we get to know him more that we will be prepared. And what we're doing as we go through this book is we're using a metaphor that Jesus used in one of his parables where he talks about and describes good soil. And so we're talking about this preparation in terms of good soil. And what good soil refers to in that parable is somebody who hears about Jesus and all that he's done for us and then makes a decision to put their faith in him, to trust him. And when they do that, they realize that God then puts his spirit in us in order to change us or transform us to become more like Jesus, and we want to be good soil. And we believe that when we spend time with Jesus, that He changes us. And even Jesus prepared for what He came to do. But His preparation is kind of unusual. It's not what we would expect. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, Verses 13 through 17. I'm just going to read that to get us started. It's on page 16 in the, uh, in the Matthew journals. So here we go. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus Answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from the heaven, from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, last Sunday, we talked about John the Baptist and why he had come. John the, ba- ba- John the Baptist had come to prepare the way for Jesus. He had come to prepare people for Jesus. And thousands of people responded to his message to turn from the ways that they were living and turn towards this coming Messiah or King that would rescue them. And he's baptizing people in the Jordan River as a way to symbolize this repentance that they're doing. But something unexpected happens here with Jesus, who is this long-awaited Messiah. He comes to John to be baptized. And this catches John off guard, like he's surprised by this. And he even tries to refuse. Did you catch that in verse 14? He says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John's basically saying, whoa, 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 hold hold on, Jesus. Like, you're changing the script here. I'm not supposed to baptize you. You're, You're the one I'm trying to turn all of these people towards. I'm just as broken as they are. I'm, I'm not even worthy to carry your sandals around, let alone baptize you. You should be the one that's baptizing me. I mean, what an unusual way to prepare for his mission. I mean, we might expect him to start with some kind of like training or for him to lay out some kind of a plan or strategy. But he starts here in the muddy Jordan River. But this is not why this is so unusual. It's if John's baptism is a symbol of repentance, why does the only sinless person ever to walk the earth who doesn't need to repent Why has he come to be baptized? Why why is Jesus doing this? The reason that I've been given most in my life as I've wrestled with this question is that Jesus is doing this to be an example for us and that our response to baptism is just because because Jesus has done it. And and this may be true or, or even part of the why, but I think that there's so much more that's happening here. You see, Jesus is preparing for his mission. And I want to spend the rest of the time that we have this morning looking at two ways I think that this prepared Jesus for his mission or ministry and then see how we can respond as part of our own preparation. So first, let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 again. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for this, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John, consented. 
Jesus tells John that the reason that he's come to be baptized is to fulfill all righteousness. What does fulfill all righteousness? What does that even mean? The word righteousness has a lot of meanings, some, several different meanings in Scripture. And depending on where it's found and how it's used, it can mean different things, but it all depends on the context. And context, when you're reading Scripture, is so important. There's so many things that get pulled out of context. And context is about where something is found in Scripture. It's what's around it, who wrote it, who they wrote it to, what they're writing about, what the culture is. I mean, there's so many things that play into context. So when you read Scripture, it's really important to understand context. And the word righteous or righteousness can be used to describe God himself, meaning that God is just or God, God does justice. It can mean that we, it's, a, it's an idea of being made right with God, like in our salvation we're made right with him. Or it can be used to mean conforming to the standard, which usually means God's will, conforming to the will of God. And some of those who wrote scripture will use a word many times in their book or their letter, and typically it has the same meaning when they use it all the way through that book or letter. And people way smarter than me have studied Matthew and how he uses the word righteousness throughout his book, and typically the way that he uses it is to conform to the standard, to conform to God's will. And that's what righteousness means here as well. Jesus is saying that the reason that he wants John to baptize him is because he is fulfilling or demonstrating God's will for him. Which leads us to the first way we see Jesus preparing himself for his mission. Jesus prepared by aligning with God's will. So what is God's will for Jesus? Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And it's all about all of the horrible suffering that Jesus will endure. And toward the end of that chapter, towards the end of where it talks about all the suffering he's going to do, Isaiah writes this. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, he says this. He was counted, the Messiah, Jesus, was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of man and interceded for rebels. Rebels refer to those who have sinned against God, which is everyone (laughs) except Jesus. Even though Jesus was without sin, he has come to put himself in the place of the rebel, all who have sinned. When Jesus comes to be baptized, he has come to be counted among or identified with every person who has come to be baptized by John, which is a fulfillment of this prophecy, but also an alignment with God's will. The sinless one putting himself in the place of the sinful. That was God's will for Jesus. And Jesus isn't just identifying with those who had come to be baptized by John. His his baptism is also a picture of what he has ultimately come to do for all. Hebrews 10 verses 5 through 10 says this, That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, 
You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. And then the writer of Hebrews explains this. He says, first Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, although they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, you know, all of those sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament that the Jewish people were required to do under the law of Moses was not really it. That would not take care of sin. But it was God's will for Jesus to come and be the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, for all time, for all of our sins. So Jesus' baptism is a picture of how he is aligning himself with God's will He put himself in our place on the cross and died the death that we deserve because of our sin. The second way that this baptism prepares for his mission is found in verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom... I am well pleased. There's something incredible happening here. In this moment, you have all three persons of God present, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that God is three persons, but in one being. This is called the Trinity. And in this moment, you have Father speaking, you have Son in the water, and you have the Spirit descending on him. And what I think this is, is really it's a callback to the very, very beginning of time, right before creation, when you have the exact same picture of the Spirit hovering above the waters, and then as the gospel writer John records in the very opening of his gospel, he records the fact that God speaks creation through his word, Jesus. You have all three persons present at creation. And this baptism represents the beginning of something new. This new kingdom that Jesus has come to bring in. This new rule that he has come to establish. But but that's not what's most significant here. It's what happens when Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and the Father speaks. Which leads us to the second way we see Jesus preparing. Jesus prepared by receiving the power to do God's will. There's a lot of speculation as to when Jesus knew he was Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Like, when did Jesus really understand that he was God in flesh. Like it was was it from birth that he knew this? You know, how much power did he have? 
But this is not at all meant to question his deity. He was always fully human and fully God. But we do know that when he came, he chose to limit himself, to restrain himself. So it's somewhat unclear how much he knew and how much he didn't know. We do know from an earlier account of Jesus' life found in another biography of his that at age 12, that he gets left behind by Mary and Joseph in the temple. When they come to find him, he basically questions his parents and says, don't you know that I should be about my father's business? So he knew that God was his father, but we don't know if it's just because he knew that or because maybe this was something that Mary and Joseph had told him as he grew up. Others speculate it's at this very moment of his baptism when he comes out of the water and the Spirit descends on him and the Father speaks that he fully knows. And not just knows, but he's empowered by the Spirit to do what he's called and what he's come to do. And perhaps this is true. And if it is, we can see how this moment prepared him for his mission. But what's also interesting is what the Father speaks as well. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father identifies Jesus as his son, but he also, in this, affirms Jesus' calling. And let me explain why I say that. You see, Matthew was written with a Jewish reader and a Jewish hearer in mind. And when a Jewish person would have heard and read this this, uh, quote, they would have recognized that the Father is actually quoting two phrases out of the Old Testament. The first one is found in Psalm chapter 2, which describes the Messiah, the coming Messiah, as king. A king who will come and rule over a kingdom that has no end. But the other phrase, with whom I'm all pleased, refers to a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, where it describes the Messiah as one who will come to suffer. The Father is declaring that Jesus' calling is to come and establish his new kingdom through his suffering and death. The Father declares that Jesus' identity, the Father in this statement declares both Jesus' identity and his calling. So through baptism, we can see that Jesus is preparing for his mission. That will happen in the remainder of this book, and we will see as our time together going through Matthew will reveal. But what does this mean for us? Like as we sit here this morning, what does this mean for us? How does, how does this help make good soil? What is the preparation part of this for us? Let me suggest a simple, practical way that we can respond to this. We have this incredible privilege and opportunity for us to participate in baptism as well. When we hear the message of the gospel and we understand that we are sinful and as a result of our sin we have been given a death sentence, we have experienced both a spiritual death, meaning we've been separated from God who is the source of life and also we will experience a physical death. We can't save ourselves. We are in a hopeless and a helpless place. We can't be good enough and we can't do enough good things to somehow reconcile or somehow fix it with God. 
But God, he came to us in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life and then he willingly died on a cross as our substitute. He died the death that we deserve because of our sin and then three days later he rose from the dead and that is what gives us the hope of life after this one. Through Jesus and only Jesus, God offers us the only way to be forgiven of our sin, all of our sin, like sins that we've done, sins that we currently are caught up in, and sins that we will do. And he's also made the only way to be reconciled back into a relationship with him. And through Jesus, we have this opportunity for this new life that we're able to live right now, right here and right now, as well as the hope of a life eternally spent with him after we die. And God offers all of this to us freely. We can't earn it by doing a bunch of good stuff, and we can't earn it by going through a bunch of religious rituals. It's simply something that we accept just like any gift. And the way that we accept this amazing gift is by turning away from the things that we've tried to find our fulfillment and our meaning in and turning towards Jesus. And we do that by putting our faith in him. Faith alone in Jesus alone. Faith, when we put our faith in Jesus, this is what it means. We decide that he is the one that we're going to trust. He is the one we're going to follow and he is the one that we're going to surrender our control to. He's now in charge of our lives. And when we make the decision to put our faith in Jesus, he doesn't leave us on our own because we will continue to rest, wrestle with sin in our life. Like, just not because, because we're just not perfect. <laughs> we're still going to struggle with sin, but God in the person of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And he continues to point us to Jesus and continues to make us more like him. He continues to refine us to be more like Jesus. And the Spirit also continues to remind us that since we have put our faith in Jesus, we've now been given a new identity in Jesus, which is the final point. Good soil finds our new identity in Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we die to our old selves, we die to our old ways and we die to our old identity and we find a new life and a new way and a new identity. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, though it's through the gospel, through this good news of what I just shared, that we come to base our identity not on what we've achieved, but on what has been achieved for us in Christ. And one of the ways that we do this is through baptism. Because baptism is a symbol of this new identity that we've offered in Christ. Just like Jesus identified himself with us through his baptism, 
we identify with him in our baptism. Baptism is this amazing picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And when we're baptized, we are identifying with Jesus. When we go into the water as a symbol of his death, but also our death to self, we are buried under the water, which is a representation of him being buried in the tomb. And then as we come out of the water, it's a symbol of this resurrection that Jesus had, but also the new life that we have in him. And baptism is a way of acknowledging this new identity that we have in Jesus. Maybe this is your next step in your faith journey. Maybe you've never made that decision to be baptized. You've never been baptized or that decision was made for you. And maybe that is your next step is just to say, you know what? That is something I want to do. I believe I put my faith in Jesus. And now I'd like to, I'd like to identify. I'd like to do this. And next Sunday, we're going to do baptisms. And we do these throughout the year. And maybe you're not quite ready for that or you have more questions. If that's you, I would just encourage you. There's a, in the seat in front of you, there's a connect card. You can fill out some information about yourself and check baptism at the bottom of the card. And, and, and we would love to talk to you about that, even, even if it's not next Sunday, but it's something that you would like to know more about. But maybe you're not ready for that step yet. Maybe you're still exploring this whole Jesus thing, like this whole church thing, this is new to you, or you're hearing this differently than you've been taught, can I encourage you to maybe consider, even if you've not thought about doing it yet, but tonight at 5 o'clock, you probably saw it in the scoop, we're doing something called Starting Point. And basically, Starting Point is a nine-week group where we just basically talk about Jesus. Man, I can't think of any better way to spend time than just time talking about Jesus and discovering more about who he is and what he's done for us. And it's, it's a discussion. It's a conversation. It's, honestly, it's one of my favorite things that, that we do here at South Point. I love being a part of those groups. I always learn something in those groups. So even if you've been following Jesus for a while and you just want to come and discover more about him, sign up for it. It's not too late. And again, on the same Connect card, you can check, you know, starting point. I'll follow up with you this afternoon and give you the details of where we're going to meet and, and what this looks like going forward. And maybe you have already made that decision to follow Jesus, to put your faith in him. You've been baptized. So maybe the question that you could just reflect on this week, I've been reflecting on this myself this week, is am I, am I living out this new identity in Jesus? Like, am I, does my life reflect this new identity I have in Jesus? May we continue to be amazed at Jesus. And transformed by his spirit in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this example of how Jesus prepared. And the fact that he identified with us through his baptism, God. And we have this opportunity to do the same. Father, I pray that, that right now that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. That we move in, in each of our lives. And just, just show us what our next step is. Father, that we wouldn't just be hearers. But that we would become doers of what you want us to do. Father, we need your courage. We need your boldness. Um, Father, we need, sometimes we just need you to nudge us. And so, Father, that's what I ask for right now. I just ask that you would move um, in, our, in our lives in this space. 
And Father, we're so grateful for all that Jesus has done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.